The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the second Doctor story, Fury from the Deep. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. And be sure to retweet us when you find us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And leave comments wherever you find us. We'd love to talk to you online. I want to tell you about another show on the network you are sure to enjoy called Let's Science. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science. We have some great listener feedback at the end of the show, so be sure to stick around for that. But before we get into today's discussion of Fury from the Deep, we want to talk about some news that's been happening in Doctor Who lately. Um, First up is that, uh, as we've mentioned before, in 2023 will be the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. And so, so of course, the BBC is going to have a big special. Uh, and there's been news about that, right? Well, yeah, there's been news about the at least one TV special, and there are rumors that there may be more than that. Um, also, it appears Big Finish is going to be doing something, and big, that's normal for Big Finish. They, they honor anniversaries, too. And it looks like they've done something with um, with Christopher Eccleston for the 60th anniversary. It appears that that's in audio format rather than than one of the video things, which would not be surprising since Russell T. Davies is one of the people that Christopher Eccleston has a beef with. Mm. It and Eccleston acknowledged that he'd recorded something. That was the verb he used. Um, that he had recorded something for the 60th, and he did it in order to be able to interact with David Warner. David Warner is a British actor that people will remember from playing the role of the kind of hippie professor in the Ice Warriors Matt Smith submarine episode. He was the guy with like the Walkman from the 1980s. Mm-hmm. But in Big Finish, he's played an alternate universe version of the Doctor. Uh, they have a series called Doctor Who Unbound, where you get to get to meet the Doctor in other realities, played by other actors, and David Warner was one of them. And uh, Christopher Eccleston commented that he he did this uh, because he wanted to work with David Warner, and that if anybody deserved to play the Doctor, it was David Warner. So he was impressed with that. Some, yeah, David Warner uh, recently passed away, in case folks don't know. Yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah. Um, yeah, great actor. He's been in so many uh, other things, played so many roles over the years. If you if you're as old as I am, uh, you probably remember him from Tron, which was one of the early. He was a bad mm-hmm. guy in Tron, so yeah, one of the early roles. He's a he's a he could play a bad guy. Yeah, I've yeah. seen him in a bunch of things. Yeah. Regarding the TV special, so you know it stars David Tennant and and uh, Catherine uh, Tate. Catherine Tate. Yep as the Doctor and Donna, but we have some additional information on other characters that'll be appearing. 
One of them is Neil Patrick Harris apparently plays the villain for it. Mm -hmm. And the rumors are that he's an updated or regenerated version of the Celestial Toymaker, who was a villain for the first Doctor. Um, And what was apparently popular enough, they tried to bring him back several times, but he's never made it to the screen again. Uh, But maybe now with Neil Patrick Harris, he will. Also, from set photos that have been, you know, people have taken when they were filming, it looks like we're also going to have some characters that will be familiar to some in the Doctor Who community, but not all. There's a character known as Beep the Meep, and he is an intergalactic criminal and giant fuzzball. Kind of looks like a big hamster or something, and a big white hamster. And he in he's from the comics and from some really actually quite older comics. And it looks like Beep the Meep is going to be making his first appearance on screen, as well as the Rarth warriors who uh, who keep him in custody. Mm. So they may there have been some actors spotted wearing costumes that look like the Rarth warriors. So it looks like we may have uh, some on screen canonization of some of the comics. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then also, of course, appearing in the 60th anniversary special will be Bernard Cribbins as Wilfred Mott. And uh, just recently, Bernard Cribbins himself passed away. So it looks like that may have been his last role. Yeah, he was over 90. So, I mean, he was quite elderly. But yeah, I mean, it's no secret how much I loved Wilf, one of my favorite companions of all time. Yeah, and he actually got to play two Doctor Who companions, not just Wilf, but also he was a companion in the second movie version of Doctor Who uh, with uh, Peter Cushing from the 1960s, the Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 AD. Right. He, was a, he played a policeman in that who uh, had a uh, somewhat comic role, um, mm. which, which was true also of, um, you know, of, of Wilf. Wilf was was primarily a comic character, or at least significantly a comic character. Yeah. One of these days, we're going to have to uh, watch those movies, the Peter Cushing ones, and uh, and, and review yeah. them on here. Yeah, that'll be fun. So, uh, rest in peace, uh, Bernard Cribbins and David Warner. Uh, it's, a, it's a loss, but uh, may you see the eternal bliss of the presence of God. That would be uh, nice to spend some time with you in the in the hereafter. At some, uh, and and reminisce about your great roles. Um, so let's get on to talking about the uh, Fury from the Deep. This is a second Doctor story. It is the last, if I, if I understand correctly, it's the last of the stories, Doctor Who stories, that is completely lost, as in we don't have right. any of the film reels for any of the episodes, uh, although we obviously have the audio and telly snaps. Right, and there have been fan-based telesnap reconstructions before, but this is an this is a professional animated version. Yes, they released a, an animated, uh, professionally animated version of this in 2020 with all six episodes in, in both black and white in color. And we've mentioned before some of the animation, the 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 animation reconstructions they've done have been more successful than others. What mm-hmm. do you think of this? Before we get into the topic of it, but what did you think of the animation? I thought it was good. Um, I watched the color version, and I found it visually engaging. They did some things uh, with the backgrounds that were almost photorealistic mm-hmm. at times. 
I liked that. Um, they also made some judicious changes in what we see on screen. Now, one of the things they did on screen this time was they once again had wanted posters for the master hanging all over the place. And <laughs> Saw that. I thought that was a little excessive. I thought they had those up a little too much on the screen. But they also made some changes. Like there's one point l- late in the uh, series, it's at the beginning of episode six, where the doctor is flying a helicopter. And in the televised and telesnap version, he's just having trouble flying the helicopter. And it, it, there's an extended sequence where I, I guess it's meant for comedy, where he's, he's zooming around in the helicopter with Jamie and Victoria, and he's not in control of it. And another helicopter pilot gets on the radio and helps coach him through it. And in this version, in the animated version, as during that sequence, they have giant tendrils of seaweed reaching up from the ocean at the helicopter. And it's not just the doctor is bumbling for a couple of minutes in the helicopter. He's trying to get away from the giant tendrils of seaweed that are trying to grab them. And it makes it much more dramatic. Right, right. Yeah, there's, there's a number of – I really like what they did with the sets because apparently the original sets were much smaller, of course, as they usually are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because it's animation, they could make them you know, large and you, make it more impressive. And sort of what a place like this the, – the, and we'll talk about what it is you know, as we get into it – what a place like this would look like in reality uh, if, you know, if you had – the budget to film on location or to build the sets like we would in modern times, like even with CG. Uh, so it's really, it was really, I think uh, I could tell they were adding something to the, to the set design, uh, even though I've never seen the, the original, um, but you could tell that they were doing something more with it. So that's really kind of nice. Yeah. I looked up the telesnap version on dailymotion.com and watched a little bit of it just to compare. And, mm. and this is, the animated version is a lot more visually impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why don't before we get into any, any more commentary on the episode itself, why don't we uh, get a recap, if you if you're mind, of what happens? The second Doctor, Jamie, and Victoria arrive at a North Sea gas processing plant in England in the 20th century that is gradually losing contact with its drilling rigs in the ocean, and. Since we're at a North Sea gas processing plant that is gradually losing contact with its drilling rigs in the ocean, you know that we're in for a base under siege story. The besieger of the base this time is a strange weed from the bottom of the ocean. It feeds on natural gas that the company is pumping, and then the weed itself pumps out its own toxic gas. It also stings people when they touch it, after which they fall under its telepathic control. And it's a weed with ambition. It plans to take over the world. But the doctor figures out that the weed is vulnerable to intense, high-pitched sound waves. So they use loudspeakers to broadcast the sound of the song Puberty Love and destroy all the killer tomatoes. I mean, (laughs) the doctor has Victoria scream, and they make a recording of that, and they send the recording of the scream through the gas pipes, which kills all the weed affecting the rigs, and they use sonic blasters the doctor has invented to deal with the weed in the processing plant. But Victoria is tired of being under constant crisis in her travels with the doctor. She feels torn and doesn't really want to leave the Doctor and Jamie, but in the end, she decides to stay with a nice 20th century couple named Frank and Maggie Harris. The end. 
that is a, a real good condensation of what happens. There's a lot that goes on in this one. It really moves along. But, uh, yeah, that is a pretty pretty decent condensation of, of, of what goes on. And as you mentioned, it's Victoria's last trip with the Doctor. Um, I noticed in these early the early era, especially, of Doctor Who, the companions very quick, like the the decision to not travel anymore often comes very abruptly. Like, yeah, because previously Victoria has been gung ho. Yeah. About traveling. She was she, in, in recent. I mean, she's she's a little bit passive in her first story, you know, which is more centered on her father and the Daleks. But then after that, she becomes a real, really active companion who solves problems and does stuff and has agency and then here she just gets overwhelmed yeah yeah like from the beginning she's she's clearly i think i think from the first episode or the second episode she's clearly oh why are we doing this anymore i'm so tired of of the danger and all that sort of stuff and yeah it she's she uh yeah it's just it's interesting to see the difference in storytelling in modern storytelling they would kind of build up to that departure perhaps over Mm -hmm. over some time We've seen that with companions in the modern era, but uh, yeah, the, the, we saw that recent with uh, Leela leaving the Fourth Doctor. We've mm-hmm. seen that uh, with, Mel. The way Mel leaves is just very oh, dr- sudden. Yes, like um, oh, <laughs> I'm off with that one glimpse. Think, think it's time to. I think it's time to go, Doctor. Bye. Going to yeah. explore the galaxy with Sablon Glitz. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is one character in uh, not New Who, but later Who. Uh, later classic who that has an arc somewhat similar to Victoria's and that's Tegan mm. um, because Tegan at, at, at Tegan hits the I'm overloaded. I can't take this anymore point as well. But in Tegan's case, it's much more dramatic and knowing Tegan, she does not really feel that torn. She is just, I'm sick of this. I'm <laughs> leaving. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then she kind of comes back anyway, but right. um, but she she also hits that hits that overload point with the danger from adventures. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that, we've seen we've seen those the episodes already. Um, so incident incidentally, before I forget, um, yeah. so there is even though this is Deborah Watling's last appearance, last regular appearance as Victoria, it is not her last appearance as Victoria. Mm. Uh in the in the dark time between Classic Who and New Who, there were a bunch of licensed fan productions and one of them is called Downtime and it features the return of Victor- of 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 Deborah Watling as Victoria Waterfield as an adult. And uh it also features her father. Um I forget her father's name but he pl- he played professor travers in the abominable snowmen mm-hmm. and he comes and in the yeti and 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 he comes or uh the Edward, web of fear tra- yeah jack yeah. watling yeah yeah and he comes back too and reprises his role as professor travers and we also have sarah jane smith and the brigadier thrown in and the first appearance of of um of kate um uh, Lethbridge Stewart. Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah. yeah. So she, her her very first appearance as a very young woman. Um, oh. And so I recently watched that, and we'll have to watch it at some point for the show as well. Yeah. Apparently, her brother Giles also did some big finish work as well. So it's all in the family. That's mm-hmm. cool. Um, so of the this in this episode, as they start the 
The TARDIS lands on the ocean, which is a new thing. Yeah, uh, that's cool. It just yeah. sits there on the ocean without bobbing or anything. <laughs> yes. Uh, apparently in the in the production, they had that miniature form of the TARDIS that they had in the Romans that they lowered via helicopter on a, on a piano wire, and they just lowered it onto the water and just hung it there. Um, but for some reason, the doctor lands on the ocean, and they have to row in on an inflatable craft to the beach. And uh, uh, were those supposed to be the White Cliffs of Dover that we see? Because they look an awful lot like them. Well, I mean, Jamie even mentions you can tell it's England because of the White Cliffs, but this is supposed to be the North Sea. Yeah. And so I assumed that they were on the eastern seaboard, and I think Dover is more... Southeastern. Southeastern, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's it's on the channel that that Dover is not it's not on the North Sea really. So yeah, it was kind of odd, <laughs> but um, it it I mean presumably the, the animators know, but okay. Uh, the, and you did say that uh, Jamie and Victoria both point out the the thing that all the fans re- uh, talk about, which is why is the TARDIS always landing on Earth in England? <laughs> they, yeah, they they note that and sort of they hang a lantern on it and move on. But yeah, we we know they is what the producers are saying. Yeah. We also have a first in um in this uh story which is the first appearance of the sonic screwdriver. Yes. Because when they get on the beach since they're at a gas processing plant they find an enormous gas pipe and it's making a weird rhythmic thumping noise that sounds kind of like a fast heartbeat and the doctor uses the sonic screwdriver for the very first time um to unscrew a a the lid to a hatch that's on this uh, gas pipe and he explains it as it's a screwdriver and it does all this with sound waves and that's pretty cool yeah and it was just a screwdriver at that time it wasn't yep. you know the equivalent of a of a time lord magic smartphone. wand <laughs> the magic wand is essentially what it is uh so uh yeah the, it's the euro sea gas corporation that has this plant refinery there on the on land and the uh the drilling rigs out at sea and they're trespassing apparently on the beach and get tranquilized by the security system. And, you know, the doctor tries to excuse it. Hey, we're just curious. And so we were wandering around and it's like, I'm thinking it is not unreasonable for the officials to think that they were tampering and trespassing, you know, being in this area and curiosity is not an excuse for doing that. <laughs> so no, and you unscrewed a hatch on a on a on a gas pipe that has been giving them problems. That sounds like sabotage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, today that would be th- thought to be maybe perhaps a, a t- terrorism or something. So yeah, that <laughs> the doctor blundering into things again. Uh, so the characters we have here at the Eurogas plant, we have Robson, who's the plant manager. He's the guy in charge. Oh, man, and he he is just. <laughs> He is intense. Um, he's, he's, he's the, so one of the tropes of the writing in this period is you need an unsympathetic guy to oppose the doctor for most of the show as a kind of surrogate monster. And then, then he can redeem himself in the end or die or something or both. Right. Um, but Robson, Chief Robson gets the role of I'm the unsympathetic, adamant, opposer guy who's just here to yell and give orders to people and make life difficult for the doctor and he he just becomes irrational and irrational and unreasonable um i I mean his backstory is very captain ahab yeah yeah yes i mean that's really what he is he's an ahab his his 
backstory is that he kind of worked his way up from from the ground up in this company um he didn't come in as the usual executive from you know high level or from school or whatever that sort of thing um and, but he knows this, this place but but he has this drive to you know we're never going to shut down the pipeline that's his his primary thing so no matter what happens the gas must flow and it's like even when things look really, really bad, like when you know the place could explode, we're not going to turn off that pipe no matter what. And it's like it's just it's very and they do actually play off of that where they're like this guy has become you know unhinged about this. Yeah, we need to remove him. Yeah, they and they bring in his boss. I think that this um, is meant, even though it came out in 1968. Yeah, I think it's meant to be slightly in the future. Seventy-five, be- I think, is with the the year that, that they mention. The, yeah, for the animated version, that's not in the original. Oh, okay. Um, and and it and one of the clues is they've got video phones all over the place. Yeah, but also when they bring in Chief Robson's boss, who is the head of the Euro Sea Gas uh, Organization, she's a woman. Yep. And and that would be very unusual for 1968, but it would be much less unusual in the future. And so my guess is that that's another one of the signs that this is meant to be in the 70s or the 80s or something like that. Right. So some of the other people that uh, also there are Harris. He's a scientist, and he's been noticing some things going wrong. And Robson, well, Robson has a uh, being his bonnet about everybody pretty much, but he's going to be in his bonnet about him. Um, then there's a guy of interesting character named Van Van Lutyens. Van Lutyens. Van uh, Lutyens. Van Lutyens. And he's yeah. an advisor from from the Netherlands, right? Uh, and uh, uh, Robson feels threatened by his presence, and he doesn't have authority. He just has advisory capacity, and he's he's the one who who knows. He he, he was really figured out. Something really bad is happening, and we should be doing stuff about it. Uh, and, and of course, that means bad things will happen to him <laughs> as, as, as it goes on. Um, we also have Harris's wife, Maggie Harris, who mm-hmm. she becomes a key figure for a little while in this uh, and then disappears off screen. And then we have various other people, including uh, this duo called Oak, Oak and, and Quill. Quill. Yeah. Sounds like Oak a pub. And, it, it does. <laughs> Oak and Quill are maintenance workers, and their names are trait names. Oak is a short, stout guy, and Quill is a tall, thin guy. And they are based uh, off of Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Which the author of the, the writer of this story had met. And so they're kind of like Laurel and Hardy comedy horror version. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I saw pictures of the, the telly snaps of them, and the animation does a pretty good job of representing them. They are they are trait characters, like the the you know uh, short and fat, tall and thin, and they the the animation looks a lot like the actors. So that was that they did a pretty good job there. Um, yeah, they also have the, the there's an iconic sequence. It's actually in episode two of this, but. It's an iconic sequence for this story where Oak and Quill are menacing someone. They are under the telepathic control the whole time of the seaweed. Mm-hmm. And when they're influencing someone or menacing someone, they open up their mouths and exhale the plant toxic gas. And it looks like they're screaming. 
Yeah. And so there are these images of them that have survived, of them opening their mouths and exhaling this gas in this menacing way. And it just looks totally freaky to have this person staring at you and apparently silently screaming. Yeah, the uh, actor Bill Burrich, who plays Quill, looks particularly creepy when he does it. He has Because he has this very wide mouth when he's got it open. It, yeah, it looks really creepy. Um, so... That, that the, one of the interesting questions that comes up. So eventually, we find out Robson is under control of the. Uh, lots of people end up under the control of the weed creatures, but yeah. Robson uh, does. But is Robson under its control from the beginning? Or no? Okay, because because he's he he. It's around episode four, okay. um, where he's in his quarters alone. Okay, and one of and and the weed breaks into his quarters and infects him. And it gets on his face, and he comes running out of the out of his own room, screaming about his face. Okay, right, 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 right. That's what it is. It's it's just that earlier he's acting in in the the weed creature's best interest unknowingly. Uh, I think is is the way that works. But okay. Uh, so we mentioned like they they're setting up the tension in this from the beginning, where they're losing control, losing contact with their. Uh, out the 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 rigs and one by one and we have this uh tension building and why why is it happening while it's something a, is happening it, in the pipes yeah it's a pretty nice build by the way from episode one to episode six if you mm-hmm. they they ramp up the tension nicely and it yeah. gets weirder and creepier and more intense as we go right right in fact the you know the 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 weed creature is mostly hidden for the first, I'd say, three episodes. I guess uh, we don't really get a the, the, where the characters, like the doctor and the others, don't really get a strong. Okay, now we're under siege by by a weed creature until about halfway through. Yeah, they know there's something wrong that's happening. They just don't know that it's the seaweed that's responsible. Although we do get little shots of seaweed doing stuff so we the audience know that the weed is involved somehow right one of the early people who get we see get infected is maggie she gets bit by or stung by uh some seaweed that's in her husband's study that's which is apparently someone um left as a trap for him yes they put it in a file that he was in his desk that he was going to open, and he he asked his wife to get the file for him, so she opened it instead and got stung. Yeah, and meanwhile, Quill is running around sabotaging things, opening valves, stealing the files, and the, these various other things, including uh, putting Victoria in jeopardy at one point in an uh, oxygen tank storage room. And uh, as the as the weed creature, seaweed creature, is coming for her, she screams and it retreats, and that's our first indication that. That Victoria's screams are going to be the effective weapon <laughs> later on. Mm-hmm. Um, Maggie, meanwhile, begins showing uh, more and more connection to the seaweed that stung her, and the seaweed also has this. Uh, this actually, we forgot to mention this foam that builds up yeah. around it wherever it is, and so the the seaweed comes out of the this foam. Yeah, this was the great age of foam monsters on Doctor Who, where they <laughs> would use foam. Who just flood sets with foam and claim it's a monster. <laughs> yeah. um, and the seaweed uses what's supposed to be a kind of exaggerated sea foam as its camouflage. Right. And initially they think it's something other than the seaweed because 
Victoria gets a glimpse of the seaweed like coming up through a drain pipe or something. And there's all this foam around. And so she's thinking, okay, there's this foam and inside it, there's this seaweed and the seaweed is covering some other monster that's under the seaweed. But no, it's just the seaweed. The seaweed is the monster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And eventually the doctor will find like uh, from um, 18th century myths of sea monsters that look like this, the seaweed, you know, that so that that's uh, attacking ships in the 1700s. Right. Um, and they also discover, through experimentation on the TARDIS, that the weeds consume natural gas and give off the ta- toxic gas. Yeah, so a couple things about that. Number one, I love that they go to the lab on the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, how often should they do that when they're <laughs> trying they to do. analyze <laughs> analyze something? It's like, let's take it back to the TARDIS and analyze it, and they never do that. Now, these days, they've they've kind of loaded that function into the sonic screwdriver mm-hmm. so the doctor can analyze things using the sonic screwdriver but they didn't have it back then and for most of the of doctor who history that hasn't been one of the functions of the sonic screwdriver that's a definitely new who theme and so there are loads of places where you got a scientific mystery take it back to the tardis and analyze it and here they actually do that on the other hand, the science is really lame. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like at one point, when they're when they're in uh, Harris's house and they've they, they're they've just dealt with a weed attack, and they're talking about the gas that they that they're all choking on in the house. Harris says natural gas isn't toxic, and I'm going, yes, it is. <laughs> That's why they put the special smell in it so, because it doesn't it doesn't have a smell, but it is toxic. Yes. And so they put the special smell in it so that you know if you've got a natural gas leak. Yes. <laughs> Not only is it toxic, it's extremely flammable. So, oh, man. Um, so they find out that, or we, fi- we find out that the seaweed is this parasite that attaches itself to people. And the creature's intelligence, its growing intelligence, comes from the parasitic nature of the telepathic parasitic nature as it adds human beings to its self, to its collective uh it adds their distinctiveness uh <laughs> borg um they uh it becomes more intelligent because it's adding basically processing power essentially i i wasn't sure if if that was the case or not um but it's certainly something that could be going on yeah. um there's some rhetoric in here and part of the problem is the science is bad and yeah. that shows up in the script so like there at at one point everyone is marveling at the idea that seaweed could be alive and it's like it's a plant. Of course, it's alive, <laughs> right? It's you know, not they're, sentient, but yeah, yeah. And then the doctor has this speech about matter over mind and and stuff. And it's like, okay, maybe they're gesturing at the weed is getting smarter as it takes over more people, or maybe this is just bad writing. Yeah. And I thought there was a line about the the, the mm-hmm. adding the, the brains to its. It, to, but oh, you know there may have there may have been there's a lot of gobbledygook that goes by pretty fast <laughs> yes right uh so then you know at one point van van Lechens goes down into the impeller shaft that this is the big you know central focus for a lot of the story is the impeller shaft this main f- engine of the 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 sea gas plant um he's and something's blocking it so he goes down even because robson re- you know refuses to allow anyone down there so he eventually goes, takes it on his own authority and goes down to check on it and gets attacked while he's inspecting it. 
and disappears and he's uh taken over um and the doctor wants to go after him and when jamie says i'm not going we're not you know we're not going down there i'm not going with you the doctor totally manipulates him into going he's like jamie you're not going to make me go alone are you and jamie's like well no and okay so <laughs> let's go yeah i mean like that was a total emotional guilt trip manipulation yeah. of jamie by the doctor Incidentally, that uh, Van Lutyen's uh, disappearance, where he gets taken over by the weed, is not the first disappearance we have in this. Around mm-hmm. the midpoint of the story, Harris's wife Maggie has oh, yeah. been has been infected, and she's disappeared too. And we get this scene of her standing on the beach, and and this is what one of the things about this is the sound design is very interesting and 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 really conveys an effectively creepy at- atmosphere uh so do the visuals but they have like they're standing on the beach and they have this creepy atonal soundtrack overlaid with wind and waves whooshing and the throbbing heartbeat sound of the of the seaweed and clanging noises from the industrial plant along with at points uh blurred visuals and dutch angles where you know things are tilted at a weird angle yep and it's it's effectively creepy but you have this scene and that's in spread across multiple scenes but you have this one scene where the seaweed influenced mrs harris is standing on the beach talking to um to robson Robson. and at this point robson is infected but he's in an early stage of infection and she's at a more advanced stage of infection, and she tells him, you know what to do. And he's like, yes. And she says, you will obey. And he says, yes. And then she walks into the ocean <laughs> yeah. and just keeps going. And you don't know at first, is she committing suicide? What is happening here? Yep. Uh, it turns out she apparently, under the influence of the seaweed, has the ability to walk underwater and she's going out to the main control bait drilling rig thing to be with the rest of the seaweed. Um, but watching her just with all this creepy noise going on and she just walks out into the ocean. It's like, wow, that is, that is, <laughs> that, that was is creepy. Creepy. Yeah. And apparently they filmed it. Her, the, you know, the actress walking in until she's uh, over her head in the water. It's really wild. Um, and Harris spends the, much of the rest of the story searching for his wife, you know, because she's disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's effectively removes him from taking over in Robson's absence. And so we've got this situation without clear leadership because Van Lutyens is gone. You know, Harris is for a lot of the time, you know, uh, distracted. Robson has lost his mind. And so the doctor kind of has to take control until Megan Jones, the director of ERC gas shows up. But, uh, and then he has to convince her all over again, although she's a lot easier to convince that of what's going on uh, once she sees stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She gets on the doctor's side remarkably quickly. Yeah. And becomes very quickly convinced he's our only hope <laughs> and says as much. Right. Oh, by the way, I wanted to yep. mention another creepy aspect of the scene where they're on the beach. Yep. Is um, so, and this shows up at other points in the story as well. But apparently, after you get stung by the seaweed, it starts reproducing in or on your body. Yeah. But it's hiding, so it stays under your clothes most of the time. But there will be points 
where one of the seaweed possessed people like will get a shot of their hand and we'll see seaweed peeking out from under their sleeve. Yeah. And then when they're standing on the beach, Mrs. Harris has seaweed on her neck. And it's just like there. And in the animation, it's like waving a little bit, but it's like caressing her neck and stuff. And it's like, ew, that is (laughs) yuck. Just imagining the feel of that. (laughs) So the doctor decides we have to attack the nerve center of the weed. The only way to stop it is to get it at its its Uh, root. Here comes a critical failure point resolution. Yeah, right, right. And they they decide that it must be um on the control rig in the in the ocean uh and so that's where the doctor um has to take the helicopter and he's so excited cuz he hasn't he's always wanted to fly one of these things he says which if you know anything about how difficult helicopters are to fly <laughs> i wouldn't want an amateur at the, at the uh, at the controls but um and, and incidentally yeah. they they go before they get to that point they go through a a, a kind of an emotional ringer because the doctor they convey it primarily through the companions noticing it, but the companions are noticing the doctor is really down. Yeah. And does not seem to have a plan. And that's one of the things this plays nicely into Victoria's story arc, you know, because part of why she's being so freaked out by this danger is she's seeing the doctor doesn't really know what to do and is shutting down. Right. And, and, and that would be very alarming. If you're in these tense, dangerous situations and the guy you're trusting to solve them all is showing weakness and not communicating and being sad and mopey, it's like, oh, we may not get out of this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, is we know they they always get, you know, the doctor always wins. But the fact is, is if you were, if this were real, you know, you're always going to these dangerous situations with the doctor and you never know. If any of us are going to survive or if I'm going to survive, and I, I can imagine that being extremely wearing after a while. So mm-hmm. I can sympathize. Um, before they go out there, uh, there's a moment where Megan Jones comes and she she insists on seeing Robson alone. He's been, he's now semi-catatonic in his quarters, I guess. And I, I don't get, like, why is she so insistent, especially when the weed creature has been particularly going after the top leaders? She would be a prime... Mm-hmm person to go to, to be, take over although yeah. she doesn't get taken over in this in this case but it's, it seemed weird to me um, well it's because the story's not over yet and we've got to pad the runtime <laughs> i guess so <laughs> uh i mean she apparently has history with him where uh you know working history with him she know she's known him for many years and that sort of thing and she's the one who recommended him for this job um so they the doctor goes out to the uh, control rig and our Victoria has been kidnapped to the control rig? Yes, yeah. So once uh, Robson becomes fully possessed, he he grabs Victoria, who is sedated, and then flies her out on a helicopter to this rig. And the doctor and Jamie, along with another helicopter pilot, follow them. And the doctor, this is part of the doctor's plan, because even though he knows it's a trap, he's also betting that Robson is going to take them to the nerve center. So now they will know where the nerve center is and be able to destroy it. Right. The the seaweed creature doesn't possess Victoria because it wants to get the doctor because it's recognized the doctor as being the most knowledgeable person of of all. 
yeah, um, and its greatest potential enemy. Um, so once they're out there, we see that this creepy scene of all the um, all the humans who have so far been merged with the seaweed. They come like kind of rising out of the foam. And that's in the um, that's in the animated version. In the original televised version, it's just Robson. Okay, but but it makes it creepier. In the I think this is a good use of the animation. They've got all of the possessed people rising right. out of the sea foam. Right, including some people we'd only seen on uh, video screen from the rigs there in there as well. Um, and this is about when they discover the doctor discovers that high pitched screaming by Victoria. Is a very effective tool for some reason that the mm-hmm. uh, this uh, sonic screaming uh, uh, sonic weapon uh, and that gives him the idea. Um, yeah, it, it's just like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. They 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 crank up the loudspeakers, they play, play puberty love over them, and the killer tomatoes <laughs> die. <laughs> Which I don't know that you want to use that as your template for a, a great story, but. <laughs> So they um they end up recording Victoria Scream like you said uh, to make sonic lasers. Uh, oh, I know this is this is more terrible stuff science. The doctor says that he's going to make a sonic laser sound wave. Yep. Okay, um, do you know what laser stands for? That's an <laughs> yeah. acronym and it yes. doesn't involve sound. No, it's light, light. Lasers are lights. <laughs> uh you know, you could you could have sound things but yeah, not lasers. Um so Interestingly, in the uh, I was reading in the uh, story notes that instead of Victoria screaming, they had planned to have a Jamie playing bagpipes being the weapon that destroys them. And I just think that's hysterical. Maybe they just didn't want to offend all the Scotsmen, but <laughs> bagpipes as a weapon. Yep. I, I like the doctor's enthusiasm for flying the uh, for flying the helicopter. It's I mean, in, it, at the time, it was just a kind of throwaway thing. But in hindsight, it's like, oh, we're setting up for John Pertwee's vehicle obsession. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, so one thing, interesting thing about this story, the whole story is nobody dies apart from the seaweed, but no, mm-hmm. no humans die. Everyone is recovered, which is an interesting, you know, the, the, it's not that Doctor Who in this era was ever averse to having people die, you know, uh, you know, get killed off. So it's kind of interesting that in this story, no one dies. Everyone mm-hmm. comes back. Uh, so I thought that was uh, kind of uh, interesting. Um, so. After this, there were plans originally, like to kill Quill and so mm-hmm. forth. But then they ended up having him saved because when he attacks Jamie toward in like episode five, Victoria screams, and that's what causes the do- and and he get is disabled, and that's what twigs the doctor to the idea that we can use sound waves to hurt this thing. Right. And then and then in in episode six they announced that guy you screamed at, he's just fine now. Yes. Right. Um, and then in the final confrontation, as the seaweed is, you know, besieging the control room, we see these, you know, Scooby-Doo-ish seaweed creatures. <laughs> I don't know. They just kind of look like, like something mm-hmm. out of Scooby-Doo to me. Uh, these seaweed creatures, these, you know, uh, bipedal, um, you know, symmetrical, uh, human-like seaweed creatures coming down the hallway at them. And they have to, you know, use the sound blasters to fend them off, basically. And that's also unique to the animated version. In the original version, there's a single weed. It's not a collection of, of creatures like this. Oh, okay. Okay. So, and obviously they, they, they end up destroying the seaweed. And uh, after it's destroyed, you know, we have the, the usual resolution of things and people talking and stuff. But we also have the, the decision well, by... Se- 
they're mm-hmm. celebrating and Victoria is sitting there being a party pooper while everyone else is celebrating. Right. They're having a, me- a meal, in fact. Uh, and Victoria basically says she wants to stay. Uh, and um, Harris and his wife, Maggie, did agree to take her in as a, as a you know, uh, what, what's the word? You know, Ward. foster parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, well, they I mean, they don't formalize it. They just say, of course, she can stay with us as long as she'd like. Right. Um, but it's effectively a fosterage situation. Yeah. Is she an adult at this point, Victoria? I don't think so, no. I think mm-hmm. she's like late teens. Okay. So, um, you know, it's not like build a whole parental relationship with these people, but it is kind of like stay with them for a few years. Right. And. And she does. She does say she doesn't want to go back to Victorian England because she just doesn't feel like she fit in <laughs> anymore. <Yeah. laughs> um, I mean, after you've lived in an air, area where wow, we have modern plumbing, um, <laughs> yeah. let's never go back there again. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to keep them down on the farm when they've seen the big city? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's this interesting couple of scenes where Jamie has this difficult goodbye with Victoria and. I, I don't know if it was in the original, but in the animation, there was clearly that maybe there was some feelings there that were mm-hmm. not expressed. Well, it, there's clearly feelings of some sort there. It's just a question of how romantic are these feelings. But, yeah, they they spend a good bit of time on this goodbye. And the doctor even tells Victoria, I'll stay around for an extra day in case you change your mind, mm. which is a really nice thing. And that's like, okay, that. I can't think of any other time that has happened. Yeah. But it also allows more time for the goodbye. Like we recently did Nissa's goodbye. Mm-hmm. And we just, we, even though she's got a motivation to stay behind on Terminus and help with the plague victims, now that they've got an effective cure that needs to be refined. Wow, that is a brief goodbye. I mean, right. she, she tells Tegan off screen and Tegan storms over the doctor and says, you've got to tell her to come with us. And the doctor goes over and she's like, I am adamant. I'm staying and I'll miss you all. And it's over in like a minute. Yep. And and here we have several minutes of screen time devoted to this goodbye. It was kind of like with Leela too. Yeah. There was yeah, the same several abruptness, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's not, a, this is, this is not as abrupt. It, it, they let this goodbye breathe. Um, mm-hmm. It is tearful and tender and mostly silent. There's not a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of yelling back and forth. Um, once Victoria makes her decision, we let them sit with the emotions and feel them, but without an excessive amount of talking about them. Mm. Now, I've seen uh, the first Doctor's companion, Vicky, arrive. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen her departure yet. Uh-huh. It, what's she's also a young person that the doctor has sort of got a uh, duty of care to um does d- does what's the departure like for her she becomes a figure of greek mythology oh well that's a, <laughs> not quite <laughs> the same the, thing they go to the trojan war and vicky ends up as dido <laughs> okay it stays behind mm-hmm. okay well i guess you know be a, a greek goddess i guess it would be the thing of course, the most abrupt, uh, well, so another First Doctor companion that goes is Katerina, and she gets spaced. Ooh. Uh, she, is, she is the first companion to die. Um, she, she comes on at the end of the Trojan War. She's Vicky's replacement, yep. and, and she's this humble Greek peasant who thinks of, that the Doctor is a god and the TARDIS is his temple. 
And she's so out of touch with what is going on as a character. She's so out of touch with the reality of of what's happening around her that they decided to write her out quickly. And huh. so in the Daleks master plan, she saves the doctor by sacrificing herself and getting spaced. Wow. Okay. In an air, in an airlock on a ship. Uh, how far, not long after? I mean, did, not did they, long after. Yeah. yeah. This, she, she's on the show very briefly. Um, they also bring on after, um, after they, after, uh, Steve, after Stevens come on, they're going to bring on, uh, Dodo. And Dodo, I don't guess we've watched any Dodo episodes yet. I no, don't know. I don't think but so. It, but Dodo was not a, um, she was not well received. And I think she got a raw deal because in watching the Dodo episodes, she's actually a fun companion. Mm. But Dodo was perceived as like kind of slow mentally. And she got written out fairly quickly in the middle of a story. There's a story called The War Machines, which is quite dramatic, and Dodo gets like under the influence of the war machine and then goes to a little farm upstate and that's it. Oh wow. And she's she's like taken off in and replaced in the middle of a story. And they bring on Ben and Polly to replace her. Okay. And those the those are the last ones for the first doctor. Yeah. And now uh, to replace Victoria, they're going we to get the next Zoe. episode. We get Zoe. Yay! Zoe is fun. Right. And so Jamie and Zoe are with the doctor to the the second doctor to the end of his run. Correct. Yes. Which is and the, one more season? Yeah, another season. Yeah. Zoe and Jamie are a great combination because you've got the boy from the past and the girl from the future. Right. And and they play off each other really nicely. Zoe is not as smart as the doctor, but she's as smart as the doctor pretends to be. Uh-huh. And so you have a little bit of competition between Zoe and the doctor for who is more science. Interesting. Um, and, and it's a really fun dynamic with those three characters. Awesome. All right. Well, that will be the, uh, the next second doctor story we're going to talk about when we come around to that one, to, to this doctor again. But, uh, that's it for Fury from the Deep. Do you have any other notes on Fury from the Deep, Jimmy? Yeah. So this was 1968, and when this was when this aired, and I don't know what it was like in England at the time. I don't know the exact details of the slang of the time, but wow, do I find it hilarious when the Doctor <laughs> gets lines like, "Suppose that person was under the control of the weed." <laughs> and someone amongst us here is under the control of the weed. And it's like, okay, is this intentional on the part of the writers? Or because <laughs> weed means something, at least it does today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear what, what, what was the name for marijuana back in the 19, late 1960s in England. Yeah. In England. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right, so that's it for Fury from the Deep. Let's move on to our listener feedback. Uh, our first feedback comes from Ted, commenting on our recent episode 291 on the Invasion of Time. That's the fourth Doctor story. Uh, Ted wrote on Facebook, uh, Watching this serial, I was trying to figure out where I had seen the actress that played Rodan, and after a while I realized that she looks a lot like Nicola Bryant, mm-hmm. Perry with the Sixth Doctor. Uh, so, yeah. I had something similar. I was like, what is, who, where have I seen this actress before? 
And I looked her up and it's like, I haven't seen anything she's been in. She's been in almost nothing. Yeah. And, and I hadn't seen anything and, and, but she seemed incredibly familiar and it could be partly due to her looking like Nicola Bryant, although she doesn't sound anything like Nicola Bryant. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Although, to be fair, Nicola Bryant never gets to use her native British accent. accent. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she would be less nasally then. Uh, our next feedback comes from Robert H. via Facebook. He says, uh, I discovered this podcast a week or so ago and wanted to write how much I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, by the way, this is a fairly old comment that I just uh, came across. So uh, this, it's been a while since yeah. Robert wrote this. Uh, and he th- says, thank uh, you for writing and glad you're enjoying the show. Yes, yes. Uh, he says, I grew up in Ma- Massachusetts at Dom, but much like Father Corey and Jimmy, as a PBS viewer, starting at age three, have been a fan ever since, beginning in the early 1980s. Even being enough of a fan to make my own movies, I presume Doctor Who movies, in high school with friends over summers. Being raised Roman Catholic myself, I found the combination of faith and pop culture fascinating, and even though these are stories I've seen a dozen times, your group always finds a way to change my perspective and get me to see the stories a different way. I was just listening to your episode on Greatest Show in the Galaxy, which is a while ago, by the way, (laughs) Uh, and uh, I wanted to suggest to Alex that rather than a parody of Captain Cook, Captain Cook is actually Doctor Who commenting on classic Star Trek in a less than friendly way. Uh, I'm not mm. sure who Alex is. I wonder if that was some feedback from then. Again, it's been a while. so uh. Yeah, but Captain Cook is the explorer character who, ha- who owns the werewolf servant girl in Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. And he's 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 more of a parody of like the 19th century Victorian era British explorer. He's got the pith helmet and the you know the tan suit and and this kind of if he was American I would say jingoistic, but since he's British he has this kind of imperialistic attitude yeah uh, towards other people. But there may be something in there commenting on Star Trek too. But what leaped out at me was he's a parody of. A, of a 19th century British imperialist explorer. Right, right. Uh, And then uh, Robert finishes, anyways, congrats. We'll keep listening and happy to share any specific memories of Doctor Who in New England for Dom. Well, thank you, Robert. Yeah. Uh, Most of my Doctor Who memories uh, from this area are concerned going to uh, Star Trek conventions or sci-fi conventions and seeing people wearing very long scarves and wondering why <laughs> so i was not a, i was not really doctor who aware back back then in my childhood i've only uh become a doctor who fan in, as an adult so uh very good uh all right so we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of doctor who including sean k anthony c michael c david r and cyprian c their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give Make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of Fury from the Deep? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. You can send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor Big Finish story, Expiry Dating. Uh, this is a Big Finish story that features David Tennant and um, 
River uh, Song. So River it's, Song. Their, it's their second date. Yes, yes. I was trying to remember the actress's name. In, uh, oh, uh, Alex, Alex Kingston. Kingston. That's right. Uh, so un- until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you. And I just realized um, that actually the planet that Vicky was crashed on was Dido. She becomes Cressida. Okay. In Greek mythology. But uh, clearly, uh, someone amongst us here is under the control of the weed. (laughs) And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, every time we go anywhere, something awful happens. Why can't we go anywhere pleasant? Pleasant.